Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, and here with my great friend, as always, Miss Wendy Batts. Hey, Marty, how are you? Couldn't be better. This is my favorite time of the week, Wendy. Oh, well, thanks. Mine too. <laughs> so today we're going to jump into another good topic. We got great feedback on a, a little uh, couple of theories that we did on the burpee, and we're going to now move into another exercise that sometimes uh, is used incorrectly or not known how to be utilized with all types of people. So we're going to kind of go through that same format. We're going to explore proper push-up and technique, part one, and then next week we will do part two. Yes, I'm really excited about this one because I know, like you said, when we talked about the burpee, people are like, you know, it's really nice when you bring it back to the basics. And so I think, you know, kind of taking certain exercises and specifically breaking down what we see in assessments and then really trying to think on a programming side, is it truly beneficial for everyone? And if so, when and things to look for and then possibly queuing out of, of certain things. Um, so I'm excited about this. I think it's going to be good. And hopefully you guys, uh, you guys you guys like it as well. So <laughs> of course they will. And of course they will. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, if we think about it, these are just some of the topics that we're going to hit today. We're going to go into obviously more detail in previous slides. But, um, you know, we've got or I'm sorry, and, and slides to follow. But we've got, you know, the anatomy of a push up. And we are going to talk a little bit about the prime movers and then just kind of, you know, include some of the muscles that are also going to be involved. Um, and then, you know, Marty, the big question who should do these, you know, these push-ups? Should are they really something that everybody should do? And I mean, I'm going to ask you that all right off the bat. What would, how would you answer that question? You know, again, <laughs> when you, the way you know how uh, I was brought into this, we came in the same exact day. Actually, we remember that so fondly back in 2015. But you know, what I always view is whoa, whoa, 20, 2006. 2006. Oh, that's right. Oh, six. Yeah. yeah. Take a one off. <laughs> That's right. I was like, wait, 20, yeah, 2006. 2005, actually. It oh, was, that's right. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Look see, at us. And Wendy and I both said it's been that type of day. So there we go. But uh, going back 16 years ago now, you know, the key thing is a push up is a push up, yes, but it's a movement pattern. So that push up can be looked at is how you could teach pushing patterns of any type. We're going to dive into the actual full blown push-up. But of course, we're going to talk about how you can revert it back to other simpler versions. So again, when you asked me the question before I screwed up the years that we've been doing this for so long, <laughs> is everyone should be able to do some level of a push-up because it is a primal movement pattern. It's a pushing pattern. And whether I'm doing it totally on the ground, like you know what most people think is the standard push-up, I still want to be able to do that at any type of pushing pattern. So this is going to have great carryover to standing presses and modified push-ups, but we are focusing on the push-up, which is understand that we're teaching a principle of pushing patterns and these compensations and the progressions we're gonna talk about go throughout all of your pushing exercises. And there are some disadvantages. And I think that's one of the, the key points of why we wanted to do this because, you know, push-ups are something that people can do at home. You don't need any equipment. And to your point, it is something that we do throughout the day. I mean, we use these muscles whenever we're doing anything in a forward position, which because we're such sagittal plane movers, I mean, obviously it is something that uh, we utilize very often. The the disadvantage of doing some of these push-ups, which we'll cover, is if someone has extreme movement compensations in the upper body, there are some considerations you want to really 
you know, considerations you want to think about before you start programming right from day one, let's do a push up. And so the beauty of it is that it can be used throughout the model. Um, so it is one of those those exercises that you can do, you know, when you're thinking about stabilization type exercises and core, it is a very good core stabilization exercise um, all the way up to the power level. When you're doing explosive and plyometric type exercises, you can utilize a push up throughout. And so oftentimes that confuses people like how can a basic body weight push up be used throughout? So I'm hoping within not even just this series, but even our following program design series that um, we kind of bring in some some key key things to think about throughout the time that you're you're going to program a push up, and um, but just know if someone has extreme, um, you know, rounded shoulders, forward head, and stuff, it will be hard to cue out of that, and it could be a disadvantage because you could be causing further, you know, um, impingement issues if they're having shoulder issues or or neck problems and stuff as well. Yeah. And, you know, similar to the burpee, and this is why Wendy and I picked these, these are two great exercises that sometimes people shy away from because they can be used kind of in that punishment standpoint, or they're just very <laughs> challenging if someone does them the traditional way right off the bat with somebody that's not ready, if they don't, you know, break it down. You know, we've all heard about drop and give me 20, right? We don't want to use this <laughs> as a punishment. We want to use it appropriately and then build into a progression. So hopefully I feel very confident after we go through these two, you know, uh, sessions that we're going to really dive deep. People are going to have great understanding of, as you said, some things to stay focused on. So that way there's less chance of any biomechanical issue and then how to progress this exercise from a more basic standpoint. And it brings us to the form and technique. We're going to talk about the fundamentals. I mean, I think, you know, obviously we have, we constantly talk about, you know, the five kinetic chain checkpoints and the importance of, you know, making sure that people stay in that, that proper alignment for, you know, better recruitment. Obviously, when we're really focusing on a prime mover, we want that prime mover to really be the prime mover and not, you know, some synergist or something like that, just because there's compensations going on. So I think, you know, really kind of breaking down what are what are things we're going to see when um, you were doing, you know, some assessments to think about before you start in incorporating this. However, the push-up is a fantastic exercise for people to do because we move and we move that way. We might as well make sure we train, you know, for the right movement patterns, like you said. And then, of course, the big one, you know, we're going to talk about some common things that we see. I see it at the gym all the time when people are doing push-ups. It's like common flaws to look for, not just in the assessments, but when people are actually doing the push-up. And some of the things people don't really think about until we actually say, listen, when you're doing this, keep in mind that this is happening. And so I'm, I'm kind of excited, especially when we get to that section of, of the, the presentation we're doing today. Absolutely. So, you know, any exercise we do, we want to do it with, you know, precision because you're you know, getting somebody better at, better at that movement, or you're getting them better at proper movement, we'll say, or you're getting them better at improper movement. So as you said, a lot of people go in there and they do 25 or 50 push-ups, but did they really execute them with that perfect form and technique? So we'll go through that. So as we move forward here, we're going to start, of course, as we always do with the anatomy, because at the end of the day, we got to know what muscles are involved in and where to look. So you'll see here on this slide, you know, the prime movers, the, the key muscles that are always going to be very active. And as Wendy talked about, these are the muscles in the front of your body for the most part. So Wendy, do you want to kind of go through these and, you know, we can kind of uh, brief through these and see if there's anything else we want to go and talk about. 
Yeah, I mean, we could, I mean, I could sit here and we could actually have a full blown anatomy lesson. But I mean, as, as you know, when people are really talking about a push up, the ones that you hear the most people talk about, obviously, is the pec major and the anterior delts. And as we go do the program design next week, I think it's really important when people combine shoulders and chest that they realize that that poor anterior delt, when you're doing any kind of pressing, that also is included in order to help get that weight moved in a forward position. That So that the anterior delt is a big one. Um, the serratus anterior, obviously, anytime that you go into protraction, that muscle is going to be um, the, you know, one of the muscles we want to strengthen. It's obviously very weak in a lot of individuals when you see them get into a push up position and you see that winging. Mm -hmm. um, the triceps, of course, you know, when you're pressing up, anytime you go into elbow extension, your triceps are obviously going to be a big key, key player in that, as well as the anconius, which is a really small muscle, like basically that helps with extension. Um, and of course, terminal extension is something people don't really think about, but that little guy is one of the ones that uh, really helps initiate that. And then, of course, when you're in that push-up position, and it doesn't matter if you're on your knees, it doesn't matter if you're in an elevated position, you want to maintain proper you know, positioning. So you're going to be drawing in, you're going to be squeezing your glutes, and you're going to try to maintain proper alignment. So your core is going to be engaged. And then obviously when you're doing this, and this is one thing that people don't think about, and we see this all the time when we used to teach our workshops, is if you can maintain proper alignment, keeping your chin retracted, you keep your abs in and you're squeezing your glutes and you maintain the proper alignment, people just you know, power out the push-up, but they don't really squeeze the glutes and maintain a neutral position in their spine. But if you execute that and then you add the tempo to it, the push-up can be an extremely difficult exercise that we just take for granted because to your point, drop down and give me 20. I don't care how they look, just get them done. That is definitely not, that's, it's not safe. You're really not, like we said before, not really focusing on the prime movers that we're really trying to, to really focus on when you're seeing kind of these muscles listed here. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, we all always want to think about what's the safety of, of the positioning and then are we actually focusing on the muscles that we're trying to engage? And I think the key thing here, again, we could spend a whole bunch of time on all these muscles, but, you know, I would say if I'm going to highlight a few things is the pec's going to do what the pec does, the triceps <laughs> and the elbow, right? So when I'm teaching the push-ups, especially in that stabilization phase, and we'll talk more about this in the program design is make sure you get that serratus anterior engaged. Always do that push-up with the plus. And then when you also look at, there is a question that came in about, can it be core? We don't classify it as a core exercise because we are doing the chest, but if you're doing it properly, it's a moving plank. So, you know, a lot of times when I'm in a hurry and I got to kind of squeeze some things out, if I'm doing a push-up, I know, I, I go through the model, but I know that I can get my core engaged while I'm doing my push-up in that stabilization phase, because as Wendy said, I'm going to make sure it's a total body engagement and that I'm in neutral. I'm getting the serratus anterior engaged. My glutes are activated. It's a, to me, it's a moving plank. So if you can't plank well, it's going to be hard to do a push-up well. Exactly. And, and I mean, just, you know, when you think about if you're looking through the NASM material, I mean, what kind of makes, and, and I know we're not really in, in the new CPT, we're not really saying this is a core stabilization mm -hmm. exercise, but when you're really thinking about little to no joint motion of the spine and you're really trying to engage the small muscles that protect the vertebrae, then there really isn't a lot of flexion and extension of the spine in order to engage those little muscles. And so to me, is it a core stabilization exercise? To your, to your point, Marty, it is a moving plank. Planks definitely are. And so I absolutely consider a push up um, to be a core stabilization exercise. 
Um, because again, your spine isn't moving or shouldn't be moving, but oftentimes we see that arch in the back, or we see a lot of crazy things going on within the entire um, kind of midsection, which is what we really want to cue your clients out of to execute the push-up correctly. Yep. And then the last point there, safety considerations is just make sure it's appropriate for your client. So again, if you have to, and we're going to get through all this, so we're not going to go too deep on it, but if they can't do it, you know, as you see this individual doing it here, that doesn't mean the push-up's wrong. It just means that that progression of the push-up could be wrong. So again, we will go through program design and throughout the, the both of these weeks, go through plenty of variations. But the key thing is they have to execute it with ideal form and technique, get the sets, the reps at the tempo you want without any pain or discomfort. That doesn't mean muscular fatigue. We're talking about joint pain and that type of issue. Yes, they're going to feel it in their muscles and that's fine as long as they can maintain their form and technique. Great point, Marty. <laughs> All right. I'm for one around table. <laughs> um, but then we talk about like, you know, how do you get to that perfect push up? And, you know, um, there's a question that actually came in from Charles and Charles, we're actually hopefully going to answer this right now. Um, you know, the question is his, his concern about hand placement and then obviously, you know, range of motion. And so when you think about the form and techniques and the fundamentals of it, you're going to think about putting yourself in the five kinetic chain checkpoints. And so we have learned that, you know, your feet are pointed straight ahead. Your feet are about shoulder to hip width apart. You're squeezing your glutes, you're drawing in, maintaining neutral. And from there, all you do from a standing position is drop to the floor. And the only thing at that point, when you tell people about hand position, see what's comfortable for them. You know, like some people feel like in a push up, I, if I lock my elbows in, I'm going to get more triceps. Well, your triceps are already going to work if your elbows go into extension. So don't think that it is a tricep push up at this point. You want to think, OK, you're doing a push up for the pecs. The further out you go, obviously, the, the harder it's going to be for your shoulder complex. And so some people don't want to go out super far because, I mean, again, you want full available range of motion of the pec. If you go out really far, how much pec work are you really going to be getting in because you're going to be fully extended? out. So, you know, just think about what's comfortable for the client. You know, you're going to think ideally, you know, your, your fingertips are going to be pointed in a forward position. Some people have some issues with their wrist. And so some people go and do them on their knuckles or they're use like, you know, um, you know, different types of, of uh, dumbbells that don't roll. Um, so therefore they're, you know, they're in a static place and they can use that. All of that is fair game. Um, but I, don't, I think we spend so much time like your hands have to be in this specific spot. And, and it really isn't because think about we talked about this before about a natural carrying angle with the elbow. You know, you don't want to say your elbows have to be in certain positions because you want your body to naturally move through a range of motion that it can handle and control. Plus, I think another part of what Charles had asked was like, do you need to go to a 90 degree and then push up? If you can have your client go all the way to the floor where they're almost kissing the floor, pause and then push all the way up, you're going through a greater range of motion. You get what you train for. The problem is, is some people can't get to 90. Some people can't get below 90. And so therefore their form starts to break and they can't execute that range of motion. So you may have to shut that that full range down if you're going to go to something more extreme and think about gravity or you may have to put them up more against like a push, you know, a wall to really work through full available range of motion and then then start to lower them to gravity, which is going to make it harder to do. Yep. It is always every exercise we do. It's going to be the available range of motion before compensation, working towards greater range of motion. And, you know, if you're if you're somewhat unfamiliar with all of the anatomical positions and what the range of normal range of motion are, 
you know, from a degree standpoint, just go back to the five connect chain checkpoints. You see it arching a low back, you went too far. If you see other compensations. So yes, you know, there are people that know exactly how many degrees uh, of ideal motion each joint have. You don't have to know those numbers. You just have to know what neutral is for the five connect chain checkpoints. And when you deviate from that, the body's telling you, I don't currently have control of this range of motion. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's right there. That's your kind of, you know, your red flag saying, okay, this is a little bit past what they can control. And then you look at, is it the exercise load, volume, all those technique, all those other things to get somebody back within those five kinetic chain checkpoints. Yeah. And when you think about movement execution, how we have start, middle and end, I mean, the only thing that really you're going to start to see change should be hopefully just what's happening at the, the, the arms. I mean, you're going to see your hands are going to start fully extended. And then as you bend down, obviously you're going to go into flexion and extension of the elbow, but you shouldn't see any change throughout the entire you know body like your meaning your your core um you want to keep everything your feet everything should stay completely lined up throughout and making sure that there's not a lot of movement there and then of course you know at the very end we we talk about this radius interior when we were saying add that protraction marty and i will talk a lot about adding a push-up with a plus and that plus is not going into any kind of spinal flexion or rounding of the lower back or upper back. It's really just trying to, to make sure that you're fully extended and adding that little kind of protraction love at the very end to get that fully engaged as well. Excellent. I think we covered that. So <laughs> I see a question coming in um, from a friend of ours in Seattle. So if Greg wants to throw that up, we'll kind of address that here and then get into the technique clause. So as you can see here, she's got a client who has osteoarthritis in her spine. So the good thing here cleared by his PT and doctor to start exercising. That's going to be a key thing right there. And then also he has tendonitis in one of his shoulders. So would it be safe doing push-ups for him? So the key thing here is what Wendy and I are going to say is, okay, let's do the assessment. Let's see, even though he's cleared, let's see what his movement dysfunction is because he still may not be moving properly. So a pushing pattern is going to probably be safe for him in that corrective exercise or stabilization phase. You just are going to have to determine is it a true push-up or are you going to take the techniques that we're teaching and maybe they're standing vertically and they're only doing bands at this point? But clearly, if they have uh, osteoarthritis in the spine and some tendonitis, they may need to still start out with maybe some more of a corrective exercise program or that, you know, really targeted warm-up to get the lats and the pecs moving better before you even get into his pushing and then offset that equally or maybe even give him a little more of that postural type of exercises. But you're always going to, again, think about, you know, easiest to complex. So start with him doing some type of pushing standing. And then as he's showing signs of it, if everything else that you've addressed is balancing out his body, then you just start to slowly gravitate his body weight slowly over time, find those regressions and progressions, and you'll find out where he may ultimately get to. And there might be a point where maybe he's on one of the Smith machines at a 45 degrees, and that's his push up for the rest of his life. And that's okay. Right. So it's just about figuring out where he's at and then how to slowly progress him. But we're talking about a push up, but use these techniques that Wendy and I are teaching you. If you have to do it standing with bands, that is totally OK. The rules don't really change due to the fact that we're talking about a push up versus pushing. 
Right. And I think another key point to what what you're saying also, Marty, and I know that you're going to agree with this 100 percent, really listen to what your client is saying, because if there's any pain whatsoever, that range of motion is too much. And so maybe a push up isn't ideal at that point. But if you do the corrective exercises, you're really regressing him and starting him at the most basic type of push up to, to Marty's point in a standing position as you start to decrease him down. Um, if there gets to a point where there's pain, then then that's too far at that point, because, again, you're you're trying to not anytime someone's got itis, obviously, there's something that's inflamed or something that's not good. So you don't want to further <laughs> enhance that inflammation or cause any other issues. But, you know, the assessment will tell you a lot listening to what the client says and um, and then at that point, uh, making the right decision of whether he's ready for that or not. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Hope and then hopefully this is one of my favorite. This is one yes, of my you, favorites. This is all you like you've given <laughs> me like some of my favorites. So I'm just going to sit back and listen. And let you Yes. Know. Well, we also got a question about what about doing them on their knees? So this, hopefully, this is perfect timing. So hopefully we're going to be able to answer that for you. Um, but some of the common flaws that we see and, and I say it's one of my favorite is because I see these all the time. When people get into a push-up position, and they actually teach this in the military as well, and so a lot of the time people are doing push-ups because that's how they're taught, that's what they've seen, that's what they've learned. However, when you have your heels come together or your feet touch, and I tell you to draw in and squeeze your glutes, oftentimes it'll look like their glutes are really, really squeezing, but what they're really focusing on is activating their adductor magnus. And their adductor magnus for a lot of individuals, unfortunately, is very overactive. And if that is taking over, that is a, a muscle that is is kind of a, a stabilizer, if you will. But it's also one of those muscles that when your glutes get tired, it becomes it becomes the primary helper. And so we don't want the adductor magnus to really be involved in that point. That's one of the reasons we tell people when you do a push up to try to keep your feet shoulder to hip width apart. And if they start to bring their heels together, they're starting to cheat because they want to start to activate that adductor magnus and, and not their glutes as, as much, if you will. So try to maintain proper foot alignment, keeping the heels pointed straight up towards the ceiling, make sure they don't start to come together and deviate. And that's, that's number one. Number two, again, is the low back arch. You guys have seen it. I've seen it. It's really hard to cue out. But as people get stronger within their core, that low back arch obviously is going to um, hopefully diminish because if they have a low back arch and we're going to talk about this in the next couple slides in their assessment, then putting them on the floor to do a push up, they're probably not going to be able to do because their hip flexors are overactive, their glutes are weak and their core is weak. That's what allows that arch of the lower back. And so there's a very big difference between a low back arch and your natural curve. So make sure that if you see them go down and come up and that arch, you know, their belly starts to drop and dip back into the floor, you have to find ways to cue out of that or you have to regress that exercise. So that's a big one. And then if we go back to the list and we start really looking at the next one, you know, scapular winging, I discussed earlier. Um, again, that's when you're in a push-up position and you see the shoulder blades kind of tilt up. Ideally, when someone is in a push-up position, their shoulder blades should lie flat onto the rib cage. And if you see any kind of um, lifting, then the serratus anterior is very weak. And that's one of the reasons for that plus that we just spoke about earlier. And then, of course, the forward head and, um, and neck extension or when you are showing your client 
they're going to be looking at you, which means their head is up and you want their eyes basically level and looking at the ground. So um, one of the common cues, and I know Marty and I both do this, is if somebody's looking up at you, then you say, hey, do you see my hand? And they say, yep. And I'm like, okay, perfect. Follow my fingers. And then I just bring it down into where I want them to be in order to maintain proper placement, basically in a neutral cervical spine. So therefore you stay in good alignment throughout the spine. So that's a very good cue. Don't take their head and start like moving it in different <laughs> positions. Just think, okay, see this, do this. And, yep. and that's an easy cue for people to follow. And one of the beautiful things is as you're newer to this, don't think about, again, we're, we're focused on the pushup right now, but don't think about, oh, here's how I teach a pushup. Here's how I teach it you're going to use these same cues for the plank or for other exercises. That's what the beauty of the model is, is you're really simplifying things because you're constantly teaching the same cues. And by the time you get ready for a push-up, you should have checked some boxes that they can be in these positions in maybe what we call regressed exercises. So at that point you're like, Oh, remember our plank, get in that plank position. And now we're going to add the push or whatever. So we're going to focus more on the push-up, but just as a little side note is, this shouldn't be the first time you're probably teaching those cues, hopefully. Exactly. And then Marty, um, of course, when we think about, you know, doing pushups on the knees, yeah, you'll see this individual in this picture. And um, the hard thing to think about is how, when you see this picture, I'm just going to ask you, because yeah. I could talk about this all day. Yes, you when can. you see, when, yes, yes. When you see this picture, um, and this is a very common, common thing you will see at the gym. And unfortunately, you still see this with trainers. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to highlight this particular picture. Um, can you tell me what is wrong with that picture? Yes. And, and why it's wrong? First, I'm actually going to make an assumption. I think it's changed over the last, I'm going to say, three to five years. These are called modified push-ups. Don't call them by any other term. Yes, because there are people of male, female that can, you know, it's not a fitness thing. It's these are modified pushups. We don't call them what don't they call them girly pushups. I am a chick and I can do a pushup on my on my toes. That could have been the first mistake. Right. I, but I honestly in the industry, I have seen that totally start to change, which is awesome. Right. But just as a point of reference. So let's start at the feet and then we'll work our way. So first of all, she's got the feet crossed. So you've already discussed that we want neutral. Next is the feet are in the air. So just think about, you know, anatomically, what's keeping the feet in the air? Your hamstrings. They That's what is contracted isometrically to keep your feet in the air. So when we look at the positioning of a full pushup, we want that you know, core and neutral, but then we want the glutes, the quads tightened. And then even, you know, normally if we're doing a Cobra, you'd have your foot in a plantar flex position because that's triple extension. So we're trying to teach this crazy as it sounds, getting somebody to be in a full pushup or full plank with the glutes, the quads, and then even like a Cobra when their foot's extended, that's locomotion eventually. So here we don't want the hamstrings activated because it's also going to be hard for you to contract the glutes when the hamstrings are activated. The hamstrings will generally fire when the glutes can't. Here they're doing it on purpose for whatever reason. So we want those toes on the ground, neutral spine, and then we'd want those glutes contracted. So you can see here she also has a arch in her low back and her pelvis is up a little bit. So I do find it, honestly, I would struggle more with a modified push-up at first, getting my pelvis in the right position because I've always done the planks and the regular push-ups. So I find 
you really got to show somebody what that looks like. So her hips need to drop towards the ground a little bit once her feet are uncrossed on the ground, and then she's got to find neutral. So from that that view, that's a lot of what I'm seeing as the the main uh, flaws. Yes. And, you know, so if you think about that, if you took her, uncrossed her feet, put her toes on the ground and you flipped, flipped her upside down, it's actually a bridge. Exactly. And so, you know, when you think about a lot of these exercises, you've got to think about proper movement patterns. And un unfortunately, what I also see is that, you know, people will have their feet up and then their hips are back. And so they almost kind of make a 90 degree angle with their hips. And so what ends up happening at that point, it's, you know, their hips are in a, in a shortened position their glutes aren't going to fire because obviously if the hip flexors are shortened, they think about reciprocal inhibition. So therefore their glutes can't fire um, because of the positioning. And, and so that's not ideal. And that's one of the things that if you look at them from an, you know, you step away and you look, you want to see a, a very straight line, a very straight line. Now to your point, Marty, and what I have found, and, and it actually, it blows my mind. It's very difficult to teach someone how to do a push-up on the knees, mm -hmm. I think, because when they get so used to doing it on their toes, they have a really hard time controlling or thinking about trying to get into that position. And I, and I don't know why. This is just mm -hmm. my experience. So again, I'm not saying that other people can't, can't teach it. Maybe I'm not a very good teacher. Um, but if I, if I can't really get someone to do what I'm asking them to do, or, you know, or if it's a, you know, and I hate it's not male, female, but unfortunately, it's usually with my males. If someone can't do a push up on their toes and then I say, you know what, we need to drop to the knees. I've probably lost that client. And it's mainly because I have embarrassed him at the gym. I put him in on his knees and I'm telling him, you know, that he's not doing something that he's done his entire life and a gym at football practice. And now I'm telling him he's not doing it right. And I'm putting him on his knees in the gym where people are watching. That is something that I'm going to tell people, especially if you're new, be very, very, you know, um, considerate of how you're going to regress an exercise. And Marty said it earlier is I often with especially my male clientele will put them on a Smith machine. And because they're holding the bar, so they've got the steel in their hands, they feel like they're, you know, that they they're that it looks cool. Um, but I have it lifted up. And then as they can do it the way that I want them to do it at the tempo and making sure they're maintaining proper alignment, then I can put them down to the floor. And I never had to put them on their knees. Yep. And, and to your point, we're still working on triple extension. We're still squeezing the glutes, drawing in, and we're getting that proper push up like the mechanics so therefore, when we add gravity to it, they can maintain that. So I wanted to throw that there out there because I get that often. Like I tried to put my male client on his knees and he's like, I'm not doing this. And then it then it becomes a battle and you start to lose the rapport with your client. And um, that's an easy fix right there. Yeah. I, and I think it comes down to the biggest thing is if I had a choice, I'm going with the Smith machine all day just because, again, what you said, plus it's easier and I'm getting mm -hmm. the core. I'm starting to get them to understand plank and all that. And it just makes it simpler. However, and it's easier on the wrist as well. Yeah. However, I'm going to challenge all of you. One of the reasons, and I, I told you I struggle with it, is one of the reasons it was hard for me to teach it is because we go through the process of tell, show, do. I don't spend a lot of time practicing the modified push-up because when I'm working out, it's not something I need to do. So I've purposely worked on it. <laughs> And actually had somebody film it. So I'm like, okay, I because I can't tell myself if I'm in the right position. 
So I'm going to challenge you that sometimes you have to practice these regressed exercises because your body doesn't understand that, but that's how you have to demonstrate it because we're going to learn visually. So challenge, I'm going to challenge Wendy now. She's got to practice her modified push-ups. Not that she needs them, but <laughs> I think the point is that you should be able to demonstrate the majority exercise mm -hmm. that you want people to do. So if you don't have access to a Smith machine and this is going to be your modified push-up, you better be decent at doing it. Not that you need it for your workout. And, and in all reality, doing a push up against the wall and maintaining proper alignment is also challenging because you're mm -hmm. not used to doing that. And you've got to think right. about your hands may be a little bit higher as you go down just because you're against a wall. And if they're too low, you're going to hit your head against the wall. So to your point, Marty, it's important because we do have to demonstrate exactly what we want them to execute. Remember, as trainers, we have to be able to do two to three that are money. And then the rest, you know, we can step back and watch and count. Um, but, you know, you have to make sure that you can demonstrate it and that you are clearly um, discussing and being able to verbalize what you want them to do. And then at that point, know how to cue in and out of things. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And then, of course, our assessment considerations, Marty, you want to. Yeah, shocking. These muscles pop up like we've never, you know, this is the <laughs> first time they've ever. Right. It's only during pushups. But we're going to review it anyways, because uh, it just, again, reemphasizes the assessments. And I have a feeling later on you're going to see assessments are key. I'm just, you know, I'm taking a guess here. But again, the common muscles that tend to be overactive, they're going to be overactive when you're doing push-ups. So if you're seeing that low back arch, that a push-up is a movement assessment, right? So you're going to say that the hip flexor complex, the rector spinae can pull your pelvis. I, I hate to say it this way, but I always kind of looked at it as like that pelvic wedgie, you know, where that muscle pulls your pelvis up and then your lats. Once again, the lats start in your low back in that area that we call the thoracolumbar fascia. They go up, hit your shoulder blades and go to your humerus. So if they're overactive, you're going to see that potential for a low back arch as well. Then what causes, so that's what's caused it. What allows it would be the opposite, the opposite side or the muscles that uh, work as um, antagonists to these muscles is your anterior core, your deep intrinsic core stabilizers. Anytime you see movement of the pelvis, especially when you go to that anterior pelvic tilt, you know that the deep intrinsic core stabilizers are potentially weak or that person just has to, again, be cued because it might be a new exercise for them. And then of course, the hip extenders, the glutes for sure. So you've got those muscles that you need to consider as you're looking at uh, that low back arch. And, you know, we wouldn't be doing you justice unless we talked about the next slide, which would be, well, okay, now that we know what the assessment is, how do we provide you with some exercises? So therefore you can try to start queuing out of these. So, so once again, your coaching cues are going to be key from day one, stick with what you're good at and what you like to say, don't use anything that maybe I say, or Marty says, if it's not natural for you. So always think about the five kinetic chain checkpoints. However you get them to, you know, I, I'm always like, well, hey, watch your foot. And they know what that means for me because I have embedded in their brain, even when they're at the grocery store, if your foot's turned out, fix it. Like always look down and check yourself, not just at the gym, but all the time. Um, same thing, you know, like I said, with the eye movements, that's an easy way to, to with head positioning, you know, think about rounded shoulders. How do you how do you come up with the cues that are going to work for you? Um, and of course the stuff, you know, the different types of exercises. So when we're looking here, if you think about just the low back arch and the muscles that Marty just said were underactive, 
which again means that it, the compensation that you saw, these are the muscles that are allowing that to occur. Here are some great exercises, and these aren't shocking. We talk about these all the time. And people will always tell me, well, these are so easy. I'm like they mm. may be, and I, and I saw this on Facebook um, recently within our, within the Facebook, uh, you know, uh, certified trainers. Some people are like, these exercises are easy. Remember what's easy for you may not be easy for them. And if they have a compensation, the underactive muscles aren't, they're underactive. So you need to do some activation work in order to get them out of that compensation. And I don't know about you, Marty, but if you're in a plank position and you come up and you're in the five kinetic chain checkpoints, you're drawing in, you're squeezing and you hold that three to five seconds, come all the way to the ground, relax and immediately pop up and down and immediately pop up. And you do that 12 to 20 times, maintaining proper alignment throughout. That is super, super hard for people that are in shape because A, they don't do it, just like you said with your modified you know, push up. And you've got to think that it's you're really activating and relaxing, activating, relaxing muscles that are weak. So they're forcing you're forcing them to work. Yeah. So I I'm think just the biggest, using that. Sorry, uh, I think the biggest thing, too, when we define an exercise as hard, this is my thinking of talking to professionals or people I've trained in the past is hard to me could be a single leg balance exercise. Hard is executing it with ideal form and technique within the phase that it's appropriate. You know, hopefully with the conditioning I've done, my heart rate's not going to go through the roof when I do a glute bridge. But a lot of times I lose focus. And I'm like, oh, I'm not neutral or, you know, at that tempo or whatever it is, it's a challenge. But I think everyone thinks that if you're not burning a ton of calories and just fatiguing like you would in a power exercise or, you know, not able to lift the weight at the end of a strength exercise, they don't view it as hard. Hard is can you execute it with ideal form and technique for the duration of the exercise? Mm-hmm. So that's when we say it's, if someone says it's not hard, I'm like, okay, you're in condition to do it, but have you done all 20 reps properly? Probably not. So that still would classify it as hard because you broke your form and technique. Well, and I, I'll say, you know, from my experience, and, and again, you know, I, I've been a trainer longer than I've been an instructor. So if you think Marty and I got our job in 2005, um, oh. and, and then obviously been been training a lot longer than that as well. I mean, I've, I've worked with professional athletes that come and I use the plank as an example, because when I have them do planks for reps versus, oh, can you hold it for a minute? They can hold it for a minute, but they're not squeezing their glutes. They're not they're not maintaining proper alignment. And then the first thing they say to me is, man, this is so hard because they don't do it. And so when you take some of these exercises and you really focus on everything in an ideal alignment, then I really, truly believe that you're going to cue them out of something that is a compensation. But they're also going to love you as a trainer because you're doing things with them they don't normally do. And that are very, to to Marty's point, they're challenging. You're feeling muscles burn that don't usually work. So therefore, you don't really feel them the way that you will the next day. Yep, absolutely. And then, of course, our other compensations, when we think about assessments that we see very often, is the scapular tipping and elevation plus the forward head. So, Marty, do you want to talk about that one? Yeah. Again, this is not new news, right? This is one of the most common compensations that we see, but we're always going to you know, review it when we cover certain exercises. So, shockingly, the pecs, the posterior shoulder, when we talk about posterior shoulder, we're talking about the ability to get into full retraction. The levator scapula, it's going to shoot that head forward, elevate the shoulders, sternocleidomastoid, 
And then a lot of people are restricted in their thoracic mobility. Remember, your lumbar spine is supposed to be stable. Your cervical spine is supposed to be stable. You get your rotation from your thoracic spine. So people compensate and they have to open up their foot. They turn from some other place because they do not have the mobility in their thoracic spine. And that's going to cause, if you can't rotate and do things properly, then we've got other issues with the shoulder blades and all of that. Uh, so that's something we really need to work on. And then the underactive muscles, once again, not a shock, the things that pull us back into ideal posture. So the mid trap, low trap, the serratus anterior, the deep cervical flexors, we could even throw uh, the rhomboids in there. So those are type of things that, again, not shocking, what's overactive, what's underactive, just making sure we identify them and work on these so that way someone can progress towards that push-up exercise. And unfortunately, when we see the picture at the top, as we sit more and more in front of a computer or, you know, when people are, are really, you know, they're stressed with work, they have, they're doing everything in a forward position. That's what, what Marty and I talk about so much. This is such a common compensation. And now we're like, okay, drop down and let's do your push-up. And, and you're, you didn't do any activation or corrective work prior to that. They will struggle doing this correctly mm -hmm. because this is where they live. That position is where they live. So now I'm saying, okay, the muscles that are overactive and that are keeping you in that position and that's where you're comfortable. Now I'm going to have you do something that's completely different, opening up and really getting length into those muscles that are overactive. And then we'll, we'll show you some, some exercises on activating, but really get the length into the muscles that we just said were overactive. So therefore they have a better chance of, of maintaining the proper alignment and they're going to be successful in that movement. Absolutely. All right, let's look at the next slide. Again, we're thinking about some coaching cues. Uh, you know, keep your shoulder blades down and back. Make sure that the client understands what you're talking about. Um, because I, I mentioned this on a previous webinar. I'm going to mention it again. When you tell someone that, you know, if somebody's, they elevate when they come up, what, and then you tap their shoulders, then you're activating a muscle that's already overactive. So therefore you're telling it one thing and then you're, you're pinpointing and palpating a muscle and then it's, it's going to do what it, it does. Anytime you, you touch it, you're going to activate a muscle. So as a coaching cue, I usually tell people down and back, I say, Hey, you're shrugging, shrug some more. They can't. So I'm like unshrug. That's a very, very common cue that I use. Or I'll tell them, I'll put my hands underneath their elbows and I'll tell them to press down into my hands. So therefore they can feel themselves do that. Um, you're going to have to find what works best for you, but the same thing, keep your chin tucked in, you know, and eyes in the line of sight. And so this one's hard without, you know, being on the floor saying this is a compensation, but again, follow my hands, whatever it is. Um, if you notice that their, their, their chin is tucking and they're looking up and I tell people to, you know, think about following my hands and then just making as many chins to the floor because no one can see it. So you're going to have to find the cues that work for you. And then of course these exercises, they're not anything that should be jaw dropping protractions. Of course, that's the plus part of it. Um, when people protract, just make sure the spine isn't going into flexion. That's a big one. Um, band pull-aparts and face pulls, cobras. Marty talked about the importance of cobras, especially maintaining the, the triple extension, chin retractions, and then, of course, the planks with mini bands and plank walks. And you guys will find ways to make these uh, part of a lot of your exercise programs or targeted warm-ups. Again, like even something simple like a chin retraction. I could be doing a strength phase chest exercise, and I should still be pushing my chin in 
to keep myself in a neutral spine position. So eventually these become common movements that they do. So they are going to strengthen themselves and have more ideal posture. So got to start out very targeted, but then eventually these just become the natural way that they tend to exercise. So, you know, just getting familiar with what you need to kind of hit from the, you know, soft tissue work and the lengthening compared to what you need to activate. Yeah. And another homework assignment that I give my clients, there's two things that um, there it's not mentioned on the slide, but when they're in their car and they're driving, I tell them to try to like press their chin back into their headrest while they're driving. And people are like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize how hard that was. Yeah. Um, you know, so so little things like that where they're already in the car. And if you're in their head, they're thinking about that. And then you can ask them, you know, hey, did you try to do that? Did it feel really odd to you? But but at that point, you know, you're activating muscles that are very underactive. And it's really hard for people to think about doing that any other place unless they're with you. So that's one thing. Or, you know, when you're trying to get some more thoracic mobility, another one that I'll do as homework is I'll tell the client to get on their foam roller. Um, because again, I want all my clients to own a foam roller. It's that mm -hmm. important. And I'll tell them when they're doing their thoracic spine, you know, um, to get into that position, just stay in a static position and then just allow themselves to bring themselves back and forward. So they're kind of going into some, you know, um, flexion and extension because that's a really good way, not just going in rotation, but forward and back too, to try to get a little bit more mobility into that area. That's so, so just, it feels really good, but it's just something that clients can do. And because it feels good, they like to do it. So then it's a win-win. Um, so those are the two things that I have people do all the time at home. Yep, absolutely. I'm going to be doing it later today. <laughs> oh, Marty and our key takeaways. Yeah. You, you want to take us home? <laughs> sure, absolutely. So again, don't just do a push-up for the sake of doing a push-up. Know that it's appropriate part of the programming. Know what you're targeting why you chose that exercise and what the muscles you're targeting and making sure that the client is ready for the version you're going to give them. There's, you'll see next week, there's going to be plenty of versions. Proper setup and movement is key for ideal execution. So again, work off of what you've already taught. By the time you get to a push-up, you should have taught some of these cues and you know that they're ready for the version you're going to give them. Shockingly, it's here again, bullet point three. Assessments are the key because we need to know how to get somebody ready for these type of exercises and what else is coming down the line as they progress. But remember, your push-up is a movement assessment. So that's why we went over the overactive and underactive muscles with the two most common compensations. Work on areas to help correct faulty movements. So we gave you those auxiliary exercises that are going to be really valuable to help someone build up to the next level of progression for them. And then you always regress if needed. Even if someone can do the push-ups you never know. They might have um, had a travel day the day before, or you might start a superset with them in one phase. So you may have to regress. So just have those, I always call it my exit strategy or that regression when you're ready and needed. And next webinar, now that we've kind of gone through the nuts and bolts of this, we're going to get into the more of the program design and show you how to level up from a beginner's level all the way to some very advanced techniques and go over some of the different uh, tools that are used, why people use push-ups. Yeah, I'm excited about next week, too, because the program design part seems to be a big challenge for people. And they think that they always have to make push-ups sexy. I mean, as you guys see, a push-up is a push-up. And so you don't have to do anything that's super sexy in order to win your client on it. It's really just, I mean, they're there to to hit a specific goal and, you know, and how you instruct it and how you make them execute it 
for them to get proper results, that at the end of the day is what they're looking for. But but I think with some of the different um, you know options that we use, whether you're using a ball or whatever, I think I'm hoping that you guys will enjoy it because I think it's going to be very, very beneficial for everyone. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, and if you guys have any, any questions, you know, where to find me, um, you know, my Instagram is wendy.bats13, or you can always email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org and Marty. Yep. And then uh, mine will be popping up here in a minute. So dr.martymiller72. Uh, and then for my email, it's marty.miller at nasm.org. Yes. And I don't think we, I think we covered all of our questions, but uh, we went through. So, you know, as uh, Greg sorts through those, our amazing producer, just uh, in conclusion, remember next week we'll do part two. And Wendy, if you want to talk about the amazing podcast, <laughs> do it, the other Miller, Ken Miller does. Right. Um, yes. So I seem to, uh, as part of my NASM world, my two regionals um, have the last name of Miller, but I actually do a podcast with Ken Miller. Um, it's called Random Fit and you guys can find that on, you know, Apple, Google, any any place that you download a podcast. We talk about all kinds of random topics in the fitness industry. So we would love for you to download or, you know, like us, you know, be a part of our, our Random Fit uh, family and join us. Awesome. And then on Tuesdays, generally around 930 on occasion, it switches just a little bit, but you'll find me. I do a live Instagram coffee talk and really I'm there just to just see what you guys want to talk about live. We have a great time. There's a, a lot of people that keep coming back. They're always, you can always find those on NESM's Instagram if you miss it live. So Wendy, thanks so much. And we look forward to seeing all of you next week for part two.